On this episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we are flipping the script and talking a little baseball with Coach Pete Caliendo of Caliendo Sports. Coach Caliendo is one of the most respected baseball coaches not only here in the United States, but worldwide. It's a home run episode for coaches of any sport. All right, Coach. So thank you for joining us. We like to call our first segment. Uh, for our basketball guests, we like to call it opening tip. For our baseball guests, we like to call it the first pitch. So for you, you've traveled all over the world helping coaches and athletes. Um, so first of all, we were just curious, how many countries have you been to? And then maybe some for you, some lessons or takeaways from your travels, maybe of things you've taught people, but maybe things other people have taught you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, great honor. And, you know, um, I've been lucky, you know, just being a, a regular person like you guys, you know, I was very fortunate. And uh, I've been over 50 countries. Uh, a lot of it has to do because of my, my, my mentors in the past, because of them, they really helped me, you know, go internationally, let's say, and been fortunate. You know, we always think that uh, when we go somewhere, you know, we're going to do a coaching program, let's say, in other countries. And we always think, well, we're going to help them, right? Well, of course, we're going to help them because we could all share ideas. But it's funny. It's kind of like a mission trip. If you've ever been on one, um, you know, you think you're going to help people. But at the same time, you're learning so much from them. Um, and I think the things I take away more than anything from most of the countries that I've been to, and that is they don't have a whole lot. Um, when it comes to equipment and other things, fields, you know, they're not as fortunate as we may be in the U.S., but yet, man, they figure it out. You know, they don't complain. They, they figure out the equipment. They make equipment. They, they do whatever they can, whether it's baseballs, batting tees, they, they find whatever they can. They make it, and they're happy with what they have, and they, you know, and they just work hard at it. Um, so I think the takeaway is, more than anything, don't complain what you don't have. You know, be happy with what you have, right? Um, and then figure it out what to do if you don't have something. We always tell coaches, you know, an example is a batting tee, right? If you don't have batting tees, okay, fine. I mean, in the old days, what did we do when I was young? We made our own, right? We took a golf tee. We took a can. We took some instant cement. We made our own batting tee, right? Uh, I mean, you do what you can. Don't make an excuse. Go on. I think that's what you take away more than anything from, from the countries I've been to. So, Pete, we wanted to give you a chance to tell us about what you're doing, your, your Baseball Outside the Box podcast, which, which is awesome. Um, I tune in as much as I can, pick up what I can and, you know, try to get it in the car or whatever. And then, you know, what you're doing with your, your, your Caliendo Sports, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how your trips have been based on COVID, right, and the kind of the changes we've had in our world, because I know every time I saw you, you were going to Italy or, 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 or somewhere and taking the kids out there, giving them a great experience. So, I uh, just got to fill us in on what you have going on and, and you know, anything uh, you want to tell us about, about your podcast or, or your, your program. Yeah, I appreciate the time on that. Basically my podcast is baseball outside the box.com. Um, you know, and I love to interview people who in some ways like to challenge the status quo a little bit, you know, they don't have to, but if you love to challenge the status quo and always question, you know, why you do something um, and, and understand the answers. I'd love to bring different people from different parts of the world, um, different aspects of the game, uh, different experts. Uh, and it's, uh, you know what, well, I think we all do it in some ways uh, when we first start is because we want to learn, right? And then on top of it, we're also sharing stuff with other coaches. Um, and I think that's helped just 
the more we have of these shows, the better, because we're just learning from each other. And it's a lot of fun too, right? Just talking baseball. And you don't always have to go to conventions to do it. You can do it on Zoom and you're having a good time on Zoom and you meet a lot of different individuals. So that's one thing I do. And then as far as Caliendo Sports International, for many years, been taking, you know, sports teams around the world, mostly baseball, softball, some other sports also. Um, you know, it's more of a cultural fun experience where we yes it's competitive we play games everywhere we go around the world and, you know we and i concentrate a lot on italy you know japan dominican republic cuba uh, there's reasons for those countries because of the competition italy obviously because it's just beautiful country um, but the rest of them great competition and and great cultural experiences and that's really you know what we do is we take the teams for about eight days we got coaches, it's education, it's training, it's comp competition. Um, we take individual teams, but a lot of times we put teams together um, from the U.S. or even from, we have kids from other countries that want to join us. And that's just a lot of fun. So I appreciate the time, guys. Um, that's what we, what I do right now. Now, pandemic-wise, a year and a half been shut down. My first trip was this summer in August, the softball team. We were the first group to go into Italy. Um, thank goodness. Everything went well because if one person tested positive, we'd all be staying in Italy an extra five to 10 days. But everything went smooth, went great, uh, had a great trip, and then we got back. You saw recently, Todd, some things on um, uh, on Facebook and on so forth, social media. I had some individual trips um, in the last six months. Ukraine to help some coaches and yeah. players individually, then had a couple Italy trips, the European Championships. Um, also had in Mexico, the U23 World Championships, followed up with just recently a great trip to Tenerife, Spain um, with, the, with the U18 European players, which is fantastic. Had a great time. Individually, it was a little easier, right? Because I'm just going myself. I'm taking the risk myself as far as staying if something happens. Other than that, everything, you know, thank goodness went well. So yeah, that's awesome. Those are awesome I, trips. I was going to ask as a coach, uh, a question to you, coach. You know, everything you said is so incredible. And but what made you decide to kind of start this this mission of traveling and, and going to Mexico and doing certification courses and Hong Kong and certification courses? And you know, what what made you start all of this? You know, it, it started a long time ago. I won't go into the, all the history, but I started a baseball school when I was young, 14. It was a student counselor and then became a you know coach and at a very young age, director of instructions for the baseball school called Mickey Home Baseball School. Everything snowballed from there because I met my mentor, Dick Birmingham, and then other individuals coming with, with, with an international association. Dick Case was USA Baseball's president at the time. You know how, and if you stay, and you guys know this, if you stay in long enough, I think that's what we encourage a lot of, you know, if you love baseball, stay in it if that's a passion but if you stay long enough and you sacrifice and you work hard at it um, i'm not sh saying you have to you know work for free all the time and all that i mean times have changed but if you stay in long enough good things happen if you're doing the right thing and it just kind of snowballed and you know we started coaching and then i got together with a group called the international sports group which does seminars around the world i mean and next thing you know um you know we're, we're you know i'm doing my own trips internationally um, and it just, you know, it just happens. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's a passion because I love training coaches. I love helping coaches, especially at the younger levels. And then all of a sudden you get to do it internationally. Um, and then once you're doing it enough, you know, people like what you're doing next, you know, they want you a little bit more, um, you know, so it just, I just, been, and you've got to have some luck too, right? Right place, right time, right people helping you. 
um, right situations and, and then things just snowballed, man. It just never stopped from there. And thank goodness because international baseball to me is one of the funnest and most greatest experiences you can have in, in any sport, not just baseball. We wanted to move into uh, uh, talk about specialization in sports a little bit. And it happens a lot with, with baseball. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know when I was doing it, you would see kids. Who, I, I would assume there's probably some kids somewhere playing right now in Florida, Arizona. There's a tournament going on somewhere. They just came off fall ball. Um, so how do we, how do we balance that? Right. Obviously there's kids who want to get into and play ball and that's play baseball and that's their passion. But also, you know, not avoid staying healthy, um, you know, try, especially with your arm in baseball. Uh, and what, what are your thoughts on kind of specialization and, and, and the benefits maybe of, of also balancing some of those other sports in there? Absolutely. Boy, you hit a really hot topic here. And I'm really concerned about this when it comes, to, especially in the U.S. Um, and there's been enough research, enough science that people can go into and figure and, and find that out. Enough medical people who have talked on this. Um, you know, I, I'm a great example because I specialized at a young age. Um, and let me tell you, I, yes, I played a little college ball, but I didn't have great arm strength. I didn't have great running speed and I didn't have great bat speed. So I figure that one out. And I still played a little bit, right? College baseball. And one of the reasons was because early on, I only did baseball. Um, and I'm one example. There's many examples of that. And I think the concern is guys, you know, it's just common sense too, right? You play multiple sports at a young age, you're developing your athletic skills. And we all know there's that, that part that they call windows of trainability. Um, maybe somewhere between that six to 12 age group, you know, doctors have talked about this specialist, where if you don't train your athletic skills in those particular years, you're going to have a hard time developing those skills when you're 15, 16, 17. And that makes even common sense a lot of times, right? Because how are you going to get good quick footwork if you haven't worked the footwork? And when you guys do it a lot in basketball, naturally, you do it a lot in, in other sports. Baseball, we don't do it unless you train it all the time. So I think by playing multiple sports, you develop all these different skills, right? Vision, balance, all this other stuff that you need in the game of baseball on top of it. And again, I'm using... Yes, the science that I've learned from, you know, other guys, but I'm also using some common sense. You're also developing what? Different muscles, right? So you, we want to maximize our muscles all the time that we're using. So that way we're not imbalancing them. And it makes sense if we're only doing baseball and we're not training in other sports, we're not developing those other muscles. So now you've got injuries. So how do we handle that? Well, one way is I think make sure that young kids are playing multiple, let them have some fun, you know, play football, soccer, whatever it is, hockey. I think hockey is a great sport, you know, because of balance and, and, and some of them complement each other, right? Hockey complements baseball. So I think that helps. Um, I, I like even, um, uh, I can't remember the sport, but it's where you run with the ball inside. Um, I seen it in Europe and you throw it to each other and try to score in a net. Why? Because it complements baseball in some ways. And yet you're working your footwork. So I think that's one area. And the other part, I think we got a kids a break in the off season a little bit in the winter, you know, let them have some fun doing something else and stress in the winter time, especially if you're like us being in Chicago, Illinois, you know, stress doing some athletic work, a lot of athletic work indoors in the off season, strength and conditioning and athletic. So I think that's what, how you come, you work all this and you get young kids to stay in the game longer because you're going to get injured if you if they're only multiple sport. Um, I'm also concerned. I hate to throw this in there, but I'm also concerned. Number of games we're starting to play 
Um, we're, we're maximizing games. And I get it, especially Midwest areas that it's cold. You got a lot of games. Um, we want to play games because we wanted to catch up to what? You know, California, Arizona, all those places that were playing multiple sports outdoors. So we're trying to catch up by playing 100 games in, you know, in four months or three months. That's a concern because, again, science has shown when you're younger, you got that pyramid where you're younger, you, you want to play less games and practice more. And then as you get a little bit older, that pyramid starts to change where you're playing more games and not you're practicing less, but you're doing a 70% games, 30% practices. If you're doing that with eight to 10 year olds, that's a major concern now because when are they developing their skills? Yeah, we're developing some game skills, but we're not developing the athletic skills and the skills that we need to maintain our athletic skill or our, our baseball skills throughout the season. So that's in a nutshell, I think that's what we need to try to do. And I always encourage coaches in all countries and even in the U.S. My concern is really here in the U.S. So you actually touched on something that I wanted to lead up to as a follow-up. I, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Arm by Jeff Passan, but it's mm -hmm. a really good book. And, you know, I, I wondered to, these days we have pitch counts for, for youth, et cetera. There was no pitch counts when we were little, if we want to go back to, to back in the day. But I also wonder if there wasn't pitch counts then, because like, I sure I might've pitched in the spring a lot, but in the late fall, early winter, when I was playing other sports, I didn't even pick up my glove. My shoulder didn't make that movement. Um, and, you know, you see in basketball players, they have a lot of knee injuries at a very young age, but mm. Tommy John is getting younger and younger in baseball. Football players are getting more and more shoulder issues. So do you think because of the specialization, do you think that's why we have to put in things like pitch counts, like, certain amount of game regulations, almost to prevent coaches from burning out the kids, not necessarily directly, but indirectly. Yeah, great points. Um, you know, man, I go back because one of the passions I've, I've always had was helping volunteer coaches, you know, and helping volunteer coaches because, you know what, I, I think everybody understands this part. The injuries, I don't think you have to be a scientist or a doctor to really get this and I keep going back to common sense. The injuries don't start when they're 18, 17, 16, when you're level at the high school. They may happen at those ages and they may, you know, exacerbate by get it gets worse, but it starts at the young ages, doesn't it? It starts when you start first start throwing a baseball. So I believe the reason, and I'm using the US as an example because some countries are ahead of us when it comes to this. We've always been a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, and because the U.S. is so big. We got 26 million amateur players in the U.S. That means a lot of coaches, a lot of different levels, a lot of different systems. We got Little League, Pony, Double ABC. We got now travel teams. There's so many multitudes. There's really there's a governing body. That's USA Baseball. But the governing body started after um, everybody else did, right? It literally was way before Pony was before. Um, so then the governing body came in, and, and I'm really familiar with this. Very hard for them to control things. Recently, they just started USA Baseball not too long ago, what, with educational programs. P problem is, it's behind the eight ball. We're way behind. By now, everything's been started already. Everybody has their own system. And I think number one issue has been coaches' education. Because if we had coaches' education at a very young level, we could have controlled this a lot better. Now, not saying that even at your high school level, you know, You've seen high school coaches the first year in, in, in April. I've seen high school coaches throw a guy 120 pitches out in the cold first time. 
you know, sometimes everybody either makes mistakes or forgets about it. So I think education is the first thing that we educate the coaches at the volunteer level. Um, I think pitch counts were forced upon us. Yes, because exactly what you said, John, you know, you got to control it because otherwise it gets out of hand. Um, but I think it's a Band-Aid, and I, I really believe we needed to educate the volunteer coaches first to make sure that at the young ages they understood it. I think the high school coaches get it. Why? Because most of the high school coaches, probably 99% of them, ha have education in these areas. I mean, you guys had to go to school for it. You had to study it. You had to get a degree. young kids they just need to pretty much volunteer check a background check and boom you can coach baseball that's an issue because if there's no coaches training now you can't educate those coaches on pitch counts now the other part of this i think we always work backwards we've got the top educators at high school and college um and we ask them to do pitch counts which i get it because i think it's a good example for everybody else um, but really where did the pitch counts need to be first they need to be at the younger levels right so Little League Pony, they should have been the leaders in implementing pitch counts first, not waiting for somebody else to do it. And I know Little League started it, but they kind of followed. And that's, I think, the problem with the game a lot of times. You know, we're, we, we don't tend to lead. We tend to follow in some ways, wait till things happen, and then we make decisions upon that. So I think um, where we're at right now, we're going in the right direction in some ways, but no doubt about it. The injuries are starting at the young ages. It's because, um, look at tournaments, right? Now you're seeing tournaments start some pitch count systems because they're being forced to do that. I asked a question, I remember five years ago from a tournament official, a friend of mine who ran big tournaments around the country. I asked him, why don't you have pitch counts? You know what the answer was? Because if we start pitch counts, we won't have any teams in the tournaments. Now that's a problem. Um, so till the governing bodies start putting pressure on people and start making decisions that we're more concerned in health than we are anything else we're going to continue to have this problem now the next problem is everybody wants to throw hard right so now we're forcing kids to go to weighted ball programs at 9 10 a lot i've seen kids at 9 10 11 12 years old at weighted broke programs and parents are pressured because what do kids want they want to throw harder i get it i understand all that but the problem with that is are kids fully developed to be able to start? I don't care what kind of program you have with weighted balls. Are they fully developed? Are they mechanically? Are they sound? Are they are their tendons, muscles, all this kind of stuff that doctors want to make sure? Are they fully ready to throw those weighted balls? Um, I think that's another concern. I think that's another reason we're going to start to see even more injuries. And we're seeing kids throwing even harder. We're seeing, you know, professionals throwing harder. Um, we've had shows where you know, the, 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 uh, was it the ulnar nerve can't, can't handle a certain velocity. It's not strong enough. The areas around it aren't strong enough. I mean, you can get into it for a long time. And I think that's a big issue. And I think we really need to be careful and we need to study this and, and, and really work harder and making sure that kids are safer nowadays. Sorry for the long winded answer. No, you're okay. Because it kind of led us into our next question was, you know, you've traveled the world and, and we've asked international coaches this before. And I'm sure you'll have a very similar answer, but we're curious on a different sport. You know, the differences in player development, you kind of just laid out the US ways, but what about player development in, in other countries is different? Maybe it's, maybe it's not as good in some ways, maybe it's way better in some ways. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's leaders, uh, and I'm going to go back to coaches education because there's leaders and coaches education, which leads to player development, which leads to, uh, you know, better, better situations, less injuries. Um, I look at countries, you know, like Canada, Australia, you know, you've got the Dutch, you've got um, uh, Cuba, which people haven't seen because I've been there nine times. So I've been able to study what they do. You know, you see that they, they focus on a couple things. One, they focus on making sure that coaches are educated in, in the training aspect um, at all levels, especially the volunteer levels, because the majority of coaches around the world are volunteers. So that's a, that's, that's a big area to make sure that your coaches are strong. The next part of that, you know, you got to think about this as we go back to the training part. Um, they, you, they follow the pyramid of more training at the younger levels, but fun training, right? Not making sure that um, the kids are still, they're looking at it more long-term, which now we are, and USA Baseball has got the program on their websites, long-term development, because the goal is what? Trying to keep the kids in the game longer. And the reason some of these countries also are forced to do that is because they want to keep their kids in the sport because they don't have as many players as we do, right? We lose, um, I don't know, 100,000 kids in the game, not even going to make a, a dent in our numbers, right? Because we got so many players playing the game. I mean, it's 26 million, as I mentioned, amateurs in the US. Other countries don't have those numbers. So now they're forced to try to develop their players and keep them in the game. Well, how do you keep them in the game longer? Healthy, right? So the development is, 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 is around the health of their players. It's around the games that they play, right? Do they, that pyramid I was talking about where they play less games when they're younger. It's not about at the eight to 10 to 12 year old levels, the winning aspect, right? So the winning is not that they de-emphasize it, but they don't emphasize it that much, right? It's not important about winning. It's about the development of the young kids, making sure they, they have the right skills. Um, it's also in some countries, they do play more games. Like uh, I'll use Japan as an example. I use uh, uh, Cuba as an example they play a lot of games. The Cubans might play a hundred games in the summer, right? The young levels or the Japanese, but they practice twice as much as they play also. Um, and then that's the difference, right? So I think when you look from a development standpoint, they try to keep it fun. They educate their coaches. They want to maintain the development when it comes to the, the fundamental skills. And I think that's important. We're, we're, we tend to get away from the fundamental skills a little bit. We got to be real careful there. Um, because that's what the game is, right? It's about throwing, fielding, catching, hitting. Make make sure that those kids are are good at those particular skills, um, and then emphasizing the development of each individual because that's how you keep the kids in the game long term. So I think, in a nutshell, that's what you're seeing in a lot of countries. So that, that kind of flows us right in. Now you know we got that development piece, and we're getting into an actual practice or or planning for a season. Um, what are the, some of the things that you're looking at in planning for a season, say maybe the, the season just ended, we got our break. Now we're kind of ramping it back up, getting ready, getting to go. How are you looking, uh, first to, to plan that season? And then once you get in that season, what are some of the core concepts of your practice plans? Sure. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, Todd, um, you know, it, and everybody listen, this is going to depend on also the age group, but let's just in general, you know, I may give them a month off, you know, where they relax, take it easy, do whatever they want. The kids are kids, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably stressing this more for the younger kids. Um, and then, you know, coming back in, you know, we may, we'll start with athletic development, strength and conditioning, 
um, we'll have some fun things that they do with that. Um, you know, that could mean also swinging a, a heavy bat, a light bat, depending on the age. You know, if depending on the age, it could mean weighted balls too a little bit. Um, and medicine ball workout, you know, elastic uh, training with elastic cords. Um, but a lot of that stuff to really get their strength. And, and now, can you can you include some some of that with their fundamental skills? Sure, because I like to incorporate the fundamental skills with their athletic development. Meaning, um, can you can you do some throwing without actually throwing baseballs? Right? Uh, maybe holding on to a weighted ball or holding on to a baseball, even though you're working your motion a little bit. Because I think you could do a combination of both. Then you get into your fundamental skill work when it comes to your hitting, your fielding, your throwing. Focus on that. Then your next phase is a little bit more your teamwork, where you're talking about um, when you're talking about training as a team, whether it be uh, situations, whether it be your bunt coverages, whether it be whatever, you know, again, tailored to that age group. I think that's important, right? Sometimes we tend to throw a little bit too much at the younger age groups, keep it basic. Keep it simple. Keep it to what you're going to do in that season all the time. But make them well-rounded in the sport. Because one thing we're getting away from, we're watching Major League Baseball, we're watching maybe some higher levels and saying, I've heard coaches say this, well, don't worry about bunting. Really? Don't worry about bunting? That's part of the game. Um, you know, you might use it. You might need it, right? I mean, all of a sudden you get to the playoffs in the World Series, you see more bunting, you see more stealing, you see more, and, and they haven't done it in the regular season as much, but they're doing it in the playoffs. Um, so as young kids, I think you may, you want them to maintain that overall area of skills because that's going to help you. If, you. if your goal is to go play college baseball or even play high school, well, you know, you guys are high school coaches. If I got a rounded player, uh, you know, and I've got to make a cut or I got to decide who's going to play and uh, players are pretty equal, well, I'm going to take the one that, you know, has the, the more skills, right, that can do more things in a game. So we concentrate on that. And I think the number one thing, I think um, these are the three areas I think that we fail in, um, including me. I failed in many years in doing this. We don't include mental training in our practices. We don't include vision training. I, and I add this because if we can't see, how are we gonna do the skills? So I think vision training has gotta be in your skill work all the time, every day. I think mental training, game of failure, right? How are the kids gonna, how are you gonna deal with it when you fail? Cause you're gonna fail. Right. If we don't deal with it when we're young, now we got a spoiled kid who's been pretty much pampered and not and given that chance to play all the time. And now he doesn't know how to deal with the failure aspect when you get to the higher levels. Um, and I say that that might be one of your better players. So I think your visual, your your um, uh, your mental skills, I think your agility, your strength that needs to be in there all the time. And then as important. I think this is an area you're seeing more and more coaches get into, and that is training. I don't care what level, but training at game speed. Um, and that's what's fun, right? Getting them in the gym, whether it be in the gym or outdoors and whatever situations you're working, getting them to do it at game speed. If it's bunk coverage, game speed. If it's PFPs, game speed. Uh, PFPs, and for, for our folks out there, pitching, fielding practice, it's game speed. Um, anything you do sooner or later, right? Double plays, game speed, ground balls, game speed. You name it. Why? Because one, you're getting them ready for the season, right? And now it's easier to deal with that situation. But two, isn't it a lot more fun? It's a lot more fun doing stuff at game speed than anything else. So I think those are the area, and those are the critical areas I would include all the time in training. That's kind of the, the yearly program I would use uh, in a nutshell. 
So let's kind of talk about, let's turn it a little bit. You had kind of mentioned, you know, our numbers compared to um, overseas baseball numbers. But let's be honest, also, in comparison to when Todd and I were younger, you were younger, baseball participation in the U.S. has gone down a little bit. And the interest in the game, especially, you know, watching major leagues, et cetera, in comparison to things like football and others, has kind of gone down. How do we continue to grow the game? Because I'll be honest with you, you know, I coach in the city. I'm in the city quite often. There isn't baseball fields around anymore. Like right. they're just not there. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you just like us, you know, we, with my friends, I did, you know, hit it to right field. You're out. There's three on three baseball, you know, <laughs> yeah. how do we, how do we continue to grow the game? You know, it's a great point. And I, I, you know, early on, I was pretty critical of national organizations, even USA baseball, who I've been a part of for 30 years um, in, in, in the development of the game and getting more kids to play the game. Now I got to give them a little credit, major league baseball, USA Baseball has done a better job in the last five years of trying to do that, um, especially in the inner cities, um, but really all over by, you know, by some programs in, in different communities that are fun-based with young kids. So they, I, get, I give them credit for that. But I think where we fail at, and, uh, you know, and John, that, I think it's a great point because where we fail at, I'm going to go keep going back to this because I really believe in it. I believe that in order to grow a game anywhere in the world, and especially in the U.S., and, and it's very similar around the world, okay? It doesn't change. And that is you've got to develop the volunteer coaches. You've got to assist them in helping them understand how to do certain things right. Because remember, volunteers, they mean well, right? Um, they're trying their best. They're parents, most of them. And they're the ones who are going to grow the game. Because it, as soon as a kid goes to a young level, why do they drop out of the sport? Number one reason, and it's been asked by many kids um, in studies, number one reason they don't like practice and they don't like the coach, okay? So we're talking about long-term. So if they're gonna, we're gonna keep kids in the game long-term, we've got to educate our volunteers as best as possible. We, gotta, we can't charge them. We got to supply them with the information, with the help, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's in in-house clinics, whatever it may be, and again, Who's responsible for this? Our national governing body sports, Little League Pony, all of them. And I know they try their best to do this and some are doing a very good job. We've got to educate the coaches because the coaches will keep them in the game longer. When you're talking about other countries, those countries are trying to get kids to play the game. So they're going to schools to recruit them to come play, right? But soccer is a big sport all over the world as it is the fastest growing sport under the age of 14 in the U.S. And I don't blame kids for going to soccer because baseball can be boring, especially if you go to a practice. So now what do we need to do? Well, we need to educate the coaches, the volunteer coaches on how to run fun practices because everybody says, hey, we got to have fun. Well, what does that mean? Are you just going to yell, have fun, guys, have a great time? No, we got to be able to organize that, right? I mean, what, what's fun mean? Fun doesn't mean take eight laps around the field before practice. Because if you think that's fun, as a coach, you got to go run with them. Because I don't see that as fun. Now, fun, running, if I'm an eight-year-old and I'm running around the field, because, yeah, you want to loosen them up. I get it. Why not run them on the, on the base paths? Why not run bases? That's a lot more fun. But how about if you're running and throwing the ball up in the air? Well, you, you do that with a seven-year-old. I guarantee you, he'll do that all day. He'll run and throw a ball in the air all day. But you ask him to run the field, that's boring. We got to figure out ways and train coaches on how to figure out how, what's fun to run the practices because you want those kids when practice is over to say, wow, that was fun. I'm coming back. 
But now if I go to soccer practice and I go to baseball practice and soccer is a lot more fun, I'm not going to play baseball. So I, I'm with you when it comes to we're losing kids to other sports. That's, that's our fault. Um, and I don't go on the bases, John, you know, and Todd, I don't, I don't believe in this thing about, well, they get a certain age, 13, 14, and they start doing other things. I get it. There are other things. Come on, you guys play baseball. If you were having fun playing baseball at 14 years old, you're dropping out? No. You're going to continue to play it, even if you got a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend at 16, 14, 15. I played baseball. Um, if you love what you're doing, you're not going to drop out. You're dropping out for two reasons. You're not having fun at an older age, let's say 14, 15, you know, whatever, where they make decisions on doing things, and because you're not successful. Well, you're not successful for several reasons. One, if you were training right and long-term and developing your skills, you'd be a little bit more successful. And that's what I mean by educating coaches, because the other part of this is don't we, we tend to, as young coaches and young parents or parents that are teaching young kids, we tend to educate the better players because it makes us feel better, right? It's easier to teach a kid that's hitting well than a kid that's not hitting well. But we need to focus on the kids that aren't doing as well and pump them up and work with their skills and get them to be better and let them understand that, Better means individual skills, right? You're getting better as an individual. Wow, I just hit a ground ball, right? I was striking out three times. That's getting better. Now I feel better because I'm hitting a ground ball at a young age. And if I'm hitting a ground ball at a young age, I'm getting on base possibly, right? Because kids are making errors. So I think educating the coaches long-term at the volunteer level will increase not only kids playing, more kids playing the game, but also keeping them in the game. And lastly, people aren't going to like me saying this. We got to get rid of T-ball, okay? I know they're going to hate me for saying this. If they like it, let them play it. If they don't, we better figure out another re another way. And I'll tell you why. The countries have done this. If you show a kid a game of baseball, T-ball, and you're standing in the field and the ball's not coming to you, right? Because that kid's having trouble hitting off a tee. And you guys know as high school coach, not that easy to hit a ball off a tee at seven years old or at six years old. Why would you stand there all day? Sooner or later, you're going to say, this isn't any fun. But if you can minimize the field to a five-on-five five game and you can get a bigger bat with a big ball, you know, where you have a big bat that's really light, and I've got samples here, thousands of them, and this has been proven, tested, and it's a lot more fun, and now they get to hit a ball that you toss them, or you want to put it on a tee, but it's a big ball, now they get to hit it. It's only five players on five. Which game is more fun for you? Well, it's going to be the five on five because hockey's proven it when they've gone to a shorter, they've taken a rink, right? They've divided it into three and they played a short distance sideways, right? And that game's a lot more fun. They've proven the more times you touch the puck, the more times you touch the ball. And, and it's funny, they've got to do studies on this. And you guys know as good as I do, can we use a little bit of common sense? Of course, if you touch the ball more, that's a lot more fun. If I'm playing a game, dodgeball, right? why is dodgeball so much fun? Because everybody's touching the ball. Yeah, they're getting hit by it too, but they're touching it all the time. So I think we need to figure those things out. We can't just show them T-ball. We got to show them some fun games that are simulated, kind of like baseball, and then grow from there into, into the real game of baseball. I hope that makes sense to everybody because I think I really believe in those things. I've seen them happen. I've seen it work. Well, it's very similar to basketball, small-sided games, three-on-three, Two on two. Smaller basketball, right? Smaller net. Yeah. Then they go to a smaller net. Yep. At, at, at younger ages, yep. 
Now, if you right. tried to do that in baseball, they'll bring you to court, you know, right? They'll, they'll, they'll complain at first, but if you, once they see their kids having more fun, now I think they'll go to it because even in ice hockey, boy, they, are you kidding? They went crazy when, you know, when they, you know, went to the smaller ranks, the parents went nuts, but once they started to see the fun, the kids were having, it's the same game, just shorter distance, a lot faster. They made the, the adjustment. So I think a bullet point under growing the game of baseball is it's in basketball too. Um, I think it's everywhere is, is kind of the official shortage, right? Umpires, official shortage. Now that's, that's a thankless, thankless job, but you know, you kind of talk about making the game fun. Well, if you have a bad experience with a referee or, or, or umpires, right. Um, that's not as fun either. Right. Um, Absolutely. it causes, causes a lot of, a lot of, Side, side drama a lot of times, unfortunately, but how do we solve that problem? Um, you know, getting younger officials, uh, training them, getting high quality people to, to umpire, referee, whatever it may be. You know, it's interesting uh, you bring that up because just uh, was it the last show on Baseball Outside the Box? I had Ted Barrett, Major League umpire, current umpire, former boxer. I mean, great guy. Um, and and I we had talked about that. You know, I said, you know, you got to get yeah, isn't it good to get young kids to umpire? Um, one of the things I think leagues have done a good job on, but it kind of backfired in some ways. If they've started to get young kids involved in umpiring, right? So if you had a uh, an eight-year-old game, they would have twelve-year-olds umpiring the eight-year-old games, right? Or if you had a ten-year-old game, they'd have maybe thirteen-year-olds umpiring, um, and they started paying kids to umpire, right? It, it because I think. If you're going to get out of the game, but you still love the game, you find something else in the game to do, right? I mean, we've all done it. I mean, I've done it where I, I wanted to be a major league player like everybody else, right? But didn't work out that way. So I got into coaching. Um, so now I think we need to show kids a couple things. One, we need to show kids that umpiring can be fun. Um, but how do we do that? We've got to train. We're going back to coaches training. We've got to train the, the volunteers because the volunteer parents are the uh, are the are the coaches in those situations, right? High school is one thing, college is another. We're going back to the volunteer situation, travel ball. It depends on the umpires there. We got to educate the coaches that, listen, it's a development and you're going to have kids umpiring games, right? You got to use common sense. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're going to make mistakes. Um, you can't be out there yelling and screaming at them. You certainly can't go out there and question them every time you think that they've made a bad call. You know why? I go on the other side of all this. I believe at the younger ages, and I know some people may disagree with me, I believe at the younger ages, you need bad calls um, you, because kids need to deal with that situation. They need to know that it's an uncontrollable, that the umpire, it makes mistakes just like you do. You can't control it. Um, so now how are you gonna deal with it? Because I think that's part of failure also, right? Um, not only you fail as a player, but now you're mad and you don't know how to deal with it because he called a bad strike or you thought he was, you thought you were safe and you were out. So I think we need more of that. So how do we get more of that? Well, by having young kids umpire, because I think, you know, as Ted Barrett said, umpiring teach you life skills, teach you how to deal with uh, 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 conflict management, you know, uh, teaches you how to control situations. So there's a lot of learning experiences for young kids at that situation. But till we get the volunteers to understand that you need to coach your game, teach your kids mistakes happen. Don't worry about, if, you know, if it's a rule situation, obviously you go out there, you know, and you can 
you know, protest a rule, but you do it professionally. You talk to the, to the, to the umpire, right? You then make your protest and that's fine. That's okay. But you do it quietly and you do it professionally. I think if we train people to do that and kids start to see that that's done in a more professional manner, we can get kids to umpire. Um, I, I, I really believe that we need more kids umpiring the game. And I, hey, it's coming from a guy who umpired 14 years at Mickey on baseball school. Um, I love the umpire. Uh, I just love now if if a kid tries it and they don't like it okay but at least give them the opportunity to try it and I think one way you get them to try it is to do some simulated games indoors um, and you have some umpire training for young kids and, and you give them a chance to see if they like it and from that group you may get 10 kids that like it now you begin to get more umpires like anything else you've got to develop them and I, you've got to start at a very young level to do that. So we wanted to kind of get into uh, we wanted to get into the COVID effects. Obviously, we've had this discussion with every guest, but you know maybe the COVID effects. I know you talked about your travel, but the COVID effects on international basketball, the COVID effects you've seen on the U.S. Uh, athletes and coaches. You know, kind of the COVID effects that you've seen. Uh, well, there's no doubt we all got, you know, shut down. I mean, they got shut down all over the world. Um, you know, that affected, uh, you know, your playing time, your practice. Um, if I think something that coaches did right during COVID because it was it shut everything down, um, they got a, a lot of coaches got on Zoom with their kids, you know, which I think was a positive thing and keeping them interested in the game. There's no doubt we lost players during COVID. Um, after they came back because I think they found other things to do that maybe could be a lot more fun. But I think some coaches tried to get them to do some athletic work at home, um, you know, athletic training where you, if you're on zoom, you can show them what to do, you know, and you can almost do it together in some ways, right. be like an aerobics class um, that you, you, you could have done athletic work. You could have done some uh, strength and conditioning. Even if you didn't have weights, right. you got bands, you can do some swinging, right? You could swing a little bit. Nobody says you have to do 100 swings. I mean, but if you're doing 25 a day, that's great. Um, there, you can do some throwing things. You know, you saw major league players, right? You saw what, what they did in in, uh, in hotels. They put they took the bed, they put it against the wall, and they threw balls into the into the bed, right? Because they needed to do some work. There was always something you could have done. And and then some people, you know, as I was doing some Zoom calls, the one thing I didn't see, which I thought would have been interesting to do. And that was, we got to get kids, we keep saying, to understand how to play the game, right? And I love it when you play the game on your own, right? I love 10-year-olds to play the game on their own, make decisions. 11-year-olds, make decisions. What do I mean? The ball's in front of you, you make a decision, not the coach, right? The coach wants to make it because they don't want to fail and they want to win the game. That's not the purpose of at an 11-year-old game. The purpose of an 11-year-old game is for players to learn on their own. I love where we don't tell them the outs. We ask them the outs, right? Because if you tell them the outs, now they, they don't have to know it, right? Because you're always telling them. So we need to get kids to play the game on their own to kind of learn the game. Well, I thought one way to do it COVID-wise was to get on, on Zoom and show them some major league games, right? Show them some situations um, and ask them questions during those situations, right? You had first and third. What are you going to do in this situation? What would you call um, you know, you're, you have an 0-2 count. What would you, you know, be looking for pitch-wise in this, in this situation? Whatever it may be, but we could have shown more of that on video because now that keeps kids interested in the game, right? It's a lot more fun. One, you're watching major league clips. Two, 
you're asking them questions on what they would do in those situations and, and it keeps them interactive. So I think we could have done that a little bit better. And like I said, there's no, re there's no doubt we've lost players because of COVID. I think coaches try to do their best. They also um, brought in some guest speakers, you know, um, and I think as they brought in guest speakers and their players got a chance to ask questions to those coaches or experts in the game. Um, I think the key there was making sure that you at the kids, you as a speaker, you ask more questions to the players than you did tell them more things during that time, because it's important to have that interaction. Uh, because again, it can get boring, just like a classroom sometimes if you don't have that interaction as much. So I think that's some of the things that, you know, happened during COVID that um, we could have done better, but we did real good in some areas. So earlier you mentioned the mental game of coaching, and I want to go not only like the mental game of, of baseball, right, and coaching that, mm -hmm. but just just athletes' mental health in general. Uh, again, another huge effect of COVID was for for everybody. I think was uh, you know mental health uh, issues, right? So so how do we we kind of merge those now? Um, and work on the, the, the human aspect, right? And then still work on the, the, the game aspect in, in, in terms of uh, mental health. Wow, I'll tell you what, Todd, you need an expert on that one. Um, and I certainly am not that expert. And I'll tell you why, because it, it, I think you're hitting a critical point. I think we're starting to realize now, and you can see the statistics, um, you know, and I know people are trying to do their best during COVID and, you know, we, we've done real well in certain areas. We made mistakes in others. There's no doubt about it. The mental health with young kids. Uh, I just seen a show last night on it where it's really detrimental. I mean, kids, you've seen higher suicide rates. You've seen a lot of situations happen because kids were kept indoors too much. Um, now I'll backtrack. Some of the warmer climate areas had an advantage there because they were able to get their kids outside a little bit, even if it was, you know, a couple of kids playing on their own. And John mentioned it, right? When we were young and we were playing, you know, fast pitch against the wall, right? We put a box up and we play one-on-one. -on -one. We could have done that during COVID, right? Because you can hit, I mean, you're, you're 40 feet away, 50 feet away. We could have, we could have played some games in warm climate one-on-one. -on -one. You could have been in your backyard doing stuff, right? You got advantages there. I think where the problem came in is when you're indoors, you know, nine months or eight months out of the year, um, that's, that, that became a, a problem. Now, how do you deal with it now? I think we've learned from it, right? Because I think now we don't have to be so, um, concerned about the COVID when we're outdoors. I think studies have shown you don't get it as much outdoors. Um, I think we need to continue to be outdoors as much as possible. I, I think kids need to play on their own, you know, um, a little bit more. Uh, like I said, we used to go to the park, right? Play, you know, six on six, eight on eight, five on five, four on four. Hey, we played three on three, right? Right field was out. Uh, middle of the field was out. Um, I think those are some things that we need to continue to do, you know, now, because we're still in the COVID situation, aren't we? I mean, we're seeing shutdowns still now. Um, but I think with our young kids, um, I, you know, I'm a proponent going back to school. I know people may not like it, but it is what it is. I think kids need to be back in school. I think they need to be outdoors. I need to, they need to be doing um, athletic work. Um, and I, the other part of this, I think in the schools, um, and I don't know if I'm getting off topic here, because again, it's not a strength of mine, this area, uh, we need to get them in the, in the younger levels, having more gym classes, um, more recess outdoors. And we, we got away from that, um, you know, forget COVID, but we got away from the younger kids going outside and just running around 
you know, with the, with, the, with the teachers being out there watching them, obviously, and just doing things, throwing a ball, kicking a soccer ball, I don't know, playing on the, uh, on the, on the swings and whatever it may be. What, what, kid, what we've always done when we're young kids, I think we've gotten away from that. Now, from the mental part, when it comes to training, what I meant by that was we need to include, you know, how to deal with failure in the actual training. And I use baseball as an example because baseball, you fail more often than you do than any other sport. I think that's one reason we lose kids because they're not learning that you're gonna fail more. We're not letting them understand it's okay to fail, but now you gotta learn from that failure and how you're gonna deal with it. And that is, if, I'm, if I drop a ball three times in a game, how do I deal with that? You know, what do I tell myself? How do I get it? And how do I understand how to get to the next situation, the next pitch? Um, that's got to be in your training. Um, that's got to be trained in practice. If you can do it, but it's got to be done all the time. And if you do it in practice and you start training them on how to deal with it, I don't want to get into how you deal with it because we'll be here all day. That is now when it happens in a ball game, it's much easier to deal with, right? Um, so I think though in, in, in a roundabout way, those are some of the things I think we need to work on. I'm sure you guys have some great ideas on how this needs to be dealt with. Cause I am still baffled by it when it comes to the COVID area. So we want to get into our last two segments. Uh, this one we call trip to the mound. Um, it's, it's a 30 to 60 seconds. You could talk about any topic that you want, something that's important to you family, something that you're doing professionally, um, an organization you're passionate about, basically anything you want. Uh, the umpire's not going to walk up to your uh, mound visit anytime soon. So take, wow. your, take your few seconds and, and talk about whatever topic you'd like. Man, I'll do my best at this. Let's go back to coaches education. I'm going to keep throwing that ad out there because I just think we're making a big mistake not helping our younger coaches even more. We should be taking predominantly our money and focusing on educating the volunteer coaches in the U.S. and around the world. We do that much better. We're going to answer your question, John, on how do we grow the game, period. Um, I don't think you can grow the game unless you've got quality coaching. So I give some credit to some people out there. Um, I belong to a group called International Sports Group, um, ISG.com. I'm vice president. Boy, they've done a fabulous job with limited funds uh, of holding coaching seminars around the world on weekends and helping again, the volunteer coaches that are out there. Um, and I, I also wanna, um, uh, we have a program called Baseball for Good, um, which is just starting off. That's educating not only coaches, but around the world, but it's also helped supplying with equipment, having, getting young college players to to go play overseas after they're done with their college careers, right? And helping them in certain countries so that way they can educate coaches in those countries because a lot of these good college players come from good college programs which means the coaches they have are outstanding which now they can go help other countries and those in and those players and those coaches in those countries help them out developing their skills at the same time getting a great experience going overseas and having that type of you know summer where you're not only helping but you're also playing a lot of games and continuing your baseball career so um, those are to me those are two great programs that I help a lot um, other than that uh, what I do a lot um, what I stress a lot and we talked about this COVID I'll throw this at you I, I, I get the mask I understand it even though masks sometimes have not worked in other countries Japan's a great example they had a great they wear masks all the time but they struggled with COVID big time bigger than most people 
So, but I do believe that you should wear a mask. Why? Because you want to respect other people. You want, if you're sick, maybe you have a better chance of not giving it to other people. I get that. I get the vaccine. I get some other things, but here's my problem. I, I think more of us, whether we're educators, whether we're medical people, and I blame the medical people here. I've done this on my show. I think they need to stress more being healthy. I think our schools need to do that a lot better. I think our medical people need to do that people because I'll tell you why. Here's what I stress every day, and here's what I do every day, and that is I exercise. I, I don't make excuses. I figure it out, whether it's in your house, in front of a video, whether it's at the gym, whatever it may be. I exercise. I drink a lot of water. I take my vitamins. I stress vitamin D. I stress vitamin C. I'm not an expert at it, but I surely listen every day to the top experts. I, I do what I can. I get my sleep. I reduce my, my, uh, my fat intake. I reduce, excuse me, my carbs intake. I re, I've lost 35 pounds, which I didn't need to lose, but I did it. And I think we need to do that more often because I think health is so important before COVID and extremely important with COVID because you know what? We keep saying that everything we're doing, we're doing it to reduce our immune system. Well, everything I mentioned reduces your immune system and, and makes it stronger. So why would we not want to stress that on television when you've got that, you know, uh, ability to do that? But, uh, you know, so that that's my pitch to everybody. Get healthy. Stay healthy. Is it perfect? Can you still get other things? Absolutely. You know, um, we see people getting ill all the time, but it will help you through not only COVID, but it makes your lifestyle just that much better. So that's why I've been stressing and I've been working on myself more than anything. Last last segment here, uh, again, tweaking it for baseball. We're going quick pitch. So just kind of rapid fire questions, um, yeah. kind of fun. Uh, first one, the cr your craziest travel story. Yeah, there, there's been many. I'll make it quick. I went to Cuba uh, my very first time. I'm just picking Cuba because I love Cuba. I love the people there. Um, I won't tell you the story. I, uh, I got robbed in a friendly way, which was kind of funny, you know, because the people are great there. And I say friendly because, you know, unfortunately people need, you know, they need money and they need food there. Um, and, and, and they sometimes they'll make friends with you, you know, and they, and they kind of take advantage of it a little bit. I got that. And this was somebody I did not know. Um, but again, I was happy to do it and go through it because it helps somebody. But really what happened was, um, in Cuba, coming out of Cuba, um, I had State Department paperwork and because I was there for the Olympic qualifier and, and, and what happened was I put up my paperwork, you know, where you've been to Cuba and I get to Houston and they, they said, well, you can't go to Cuba. I said, well, I got paperwork. So I show them the paperwork. I go in, customs agent, they took me in the office and said, you bring anything back from Cuba? And I said, I didn't even think about it because I had the paperwork. I said, yeah, I bought a bottle of rum. And he said, well, you can't do that. You can't even bring a pencil. You know what I mean? At that time, 207, it was pretty tight. And I said, well, I apologize. I didn't know. I thought with the paperwork, you do it. He said, hang on a second. I'll be right back. And I'm thinking, I said, oh, no, now what? Right. And he comes back and he opens the door and he says, listen, read this book do it, come back again with the paperwork, understand the rules, get out of here. 
Well, I, I'll admit it now. Well, I didn't have just a bottle of rum. I had two bottles of rum. I had three boxes of cigars. I had souvenirs. I was loaded with stuff. So that was probably one of my craziest times because if I would have got caught, I'd have probably you know been on that red list anywhere you go in the world. Um, but it was an honest mistake. I really didn't know. I really thought with the paperwork, you could bring that stuff. So that was the craziest story. But there was, there's been others, trust me. That's a good story. Um, all right, so the, the best team or player you've ever faced as an opponent in your career? Yeah, as a coach, more than anything, the Cubans. Um, some of the best players in the world, uh, not many play. They only have about 60,000 players. I didn't even mention that compared to other, when you say other countries, only 60,000 players, yet they've got a great development system. Best players, I say that Cubans and Japan, I'll throw the Japanese in there because Japanese maximizing the, their their size of their bodies. They're incredible. Um, they're they're tough to compete against. So it's really a it's really right there. The Cubans and, and Japanese are right there. Um, it's really hard to pick one of them, but I'd say those are the two toughest teams to face anywhere in the world that I've faced. Okay, so baseball guys a lot of time are superstitious. Um, you know, I know. I have to have a certain certain number. It has to add or multiply to ten when I played. Um, so, uh, what are you, what are your superstitions if you have any? Todd, did you did you listen to the title of my show? It's called Baseball <laughs> Outside the Box. No, um, here here's the best part. Uh, <laughs> I'm not superstitious, and that so here's the, that's you know I just don't believe in it. But yet, get this: when you just recently in Spain, what did I do? I didn't step on the line going across. Um, so I guess in, in the back of my mind, I've been taught that, you know, because the game is superstitious, but I keep saying I'm not superstitious. So you figure it out. Uh, if I had one, it's probably not stepping on the line. <laughs> All right. So you're living in another country. You can live anywhere you want. You can't live in the U.S. Where would you live? Um, Italy, no doubt about it. Um, you know, again, I come from a time background, so I'm being prejudiced. I've been there a lot. It's beautiful. It's uh, and there's a lot of beautiful countries around the world, but I have to pick one. Italy. You got great food, great culture, great places, great people. I mean, it marks, and that's one of the reasons I take the one of the trips to Italy with our teams all the time when I take teams because it marks all the check the, the boxes for me and what I like in a country. Um, but I got to throw this in, if you don't mind, real quick. If I had a, a, a son or daughter, 12 years old, and I want to teach them the game, is one the first country I'd send them to, Japan. I love Japan, beautiful country, great people. And also I'd send them there because I know they come back better baseball players, better human beings. Uh, your your favorite ballpark or the best ballpark you, you've been in? What, what's your favorite ballpark? Yeah, I haven't been a whole lot. If we're talking about professional, uh, but, you know, I got to throw Wrigley because it's just beautiful. It's a great park. Um, you, everywhere you say you go watch a ball game, and I'm sure there's a lot of parks around the world that are, are in, in the U.S. that are the same, but I think Wrigley is just the atmosphere and everything about it. And I live here, and obviously you guys have been to Wrigley. You know what it's like. It's beautiful. All right, so that, this is an interesting one. Who, who has hit the longest ball you've ever seen in person? Could be a game, batting practice, practice, just a ball that you saw that was a shot. Yeah, I... I mentioned Otani. Otani's been the one. I saw him when he was younger in Japan, um, you know, and I saw him hit just towering. And I'd say equal with that. I hate to give you two. They're both Japanese, um, and that's Ichiro, um, because he's hit some long shots in batting practice, man. I mean, it's just incredible. That, and Ichiro could hit 
20 in batting practice. And I believe Ichiro could have hit whatever he wanted to home run wise when it came into major league baseball. But I think he chose to, to do the opposite because I think it elevated his game much more. All right. Last one here. The, the best hotel you've stayed at. Well, it's funny because I just mentioned Otani and the new Otani in Tokyo. Uh, just fabulous. First class, beautiful. Um, and I go back to Japan, attention to detail, nothing better. Um, just they're, they're well run. We can learn a lot from the Japanese and in, in business and anything we do because they're the, to me, they're the best at it. And then the, the new Otani was, that's the best hotel I've been at. And, and I didn't, and I say that I didn't have to pay for it because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> well, that's, that's even better, right? Yes. Uh, Pete, we can't thank you enough for joining us. You know, we, a lot of times we do a lot, a lot of basketball, but we like to branch out and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a baseball guy at heart. I played, played, coached. Um, so I love, love talking baseball. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Todd, John, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Really appreciate it, man. This has been uh, awesome. Love it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.